Echo Dispatch with Jason Lewis. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Echo Dispatch. I'm Jason Lewis, Chief Reporter at the Bournemouth Daily Echo. The past few weeks marked the end of decades of work in senior National Health Service positions for University Hospital's Dorset Chief Executive, Debbie Fleming. I met the head of Royal Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poor Hospitals to discuss her career. Debbie oversaw the merger of the NHS Hospital Trust in East Dorset following the Clinical Service Review. In her last media interview before her retirement from the NHS, she discussed what the job of a Hospital Trust Chief Executive involves, the importance of establishing and maintaining values and the Covid pandemic. First, I asked her about her overall feelings as she reached the final few days of a job she's dedicated years of her life to. Well, you know, I guess it's the same for most people, very mixed feelings because I'm looking forward to retirement and I have uh, chosen to do that, I keep reminding myself, but of course working for the NHS has been a really fabulous career. Being Chief Executive of University Hospitals Dorset is such an honour, working with fantastic people on things that really matter, so it feels a bit sad to be walking away and leaving everybody, particularly when it's so busy. But I'm just hugely proud of the organisation and really, really proud uh, of, of all that's going on and, and want things to be good for them leaving. So it's quite busy. I'm working quite hard to make sure that I leave it all in the good hands that it's going into and, uh, and can, can walk away feeling confident about that, which is nice. And how long have you actually been involved in the NHS for people that don't know? So I've been working in the NHS for 38 years, which is a very long time. And I've been a chief executive for 21 years. And you, we don't need, normally get chief executives that serve quite that long because they, they, they say it wears us out a little bit. But um, I have had the privilege, I've done different roles. I've been through quite a lot of reorganisations, um, but I've, I've loved it. I've worked in hospitals, I've worked in the community, I've worked with our GP colleagues, I've worked as a commissioner and planner and as a, as a provider of healthcare within the hospital sector, etc. And I've loved almost every moment of it. I say it's not, I've not loved every single minute, but I've loved almost every single minute. Yeah. And well, it seems a great thing to just mention that you've touched on your broad range of roles in the NHS. It really shows that the NHS isn't just one area and it, everyone's linked to it so incredibly and it, it can't sort of all stand up. It needs all parts of it to function. That's right. You're absolutely right. The, the, I think people get confused because they think of the NHS and they think it's one thing. And of course, it is a, a national organisation, but there are many different parts of the NHS, many different organisations within the NHS, and we've all got different roles and responsibilities and, and funding streams. And we, so it's all, I often ask people, who, who's that, who, who are you employed by? You know, who do you actually work for to see which bit of the NHS they're working for? And within that, we've got many, so many different roles. And I often talking to youngsters, you know, so many different careers. When I first started in the health service, you know, there were mainly doctors and nurses and, and, and a, a few other professional staff but now there's so many different types of roles as we've designed new models of care whatever you're good at and whatever your interest there's definitely a role and a job within the health service that you would enjoy where you can really give of your best yeah i was going to come on to actually the how it's changed in the in the time that you've been involved shortly but what does the role actually of a chief executive in a trust actually mean for people who don't know because obviously but you get chief executive in business you get chief executive at sporting teams at the top level but what's the chief executive of a hospital trust actually I know, this is where i always sound as if i'm very very important but it, it's something i do take very seriously so as chief executive i am the accountable officer i am accountable for everything 
that happens within this organisation. Uh, and people always think, well, oh, you're just in charge of the money. No, I'm accountable for the, uh, for the, for the money. I'm accountable for the quality and safety uh, and care of our patients. I'm accountable for the performance and whether or not we're meeting targets for the work that we do, uh, the standards that we deliver to. And I'm accountable for the people, for the workforce. So I, I take that responsibility very seriously when you're the accountable officer. That, that means that I need to account to the board and uh, account to local people for what goes on within this organisation. Now fortunately, I have a fantastic team of people who work with me to enable me to deliver those accountabilities because uh, I don't have a clinical background. Uh, some chief executives do. Uh, that, that's, you know, some do, some don't. The thing you need to have actually is the experience of the service, the leadership skills and some area of expertise and knowledge that you've got within that that, that means that you're able to, to manage strategic change and oversee a complex, very complex organisation. And is that responsibility something you've had to get used to over time or did you find it came quite naturally to you in the role? No, I think any the first time you become a chief executive it feels like a really massive responsibility and I think it, there are not many people I would imagine that can just immediately feel comfortable in those shoes because you've got to take it seriously. It's a really important role, isn't it? The health service is about uh, life and death and it's about things that really matter to people and when you think you are accountable and, uh, and you need to be able to explain decisions that the board has taken I mean again there are lots and lots of governance arrangements around all of this to enable me to make the right decisions the board my board of directors the board sets the strategic direction the board oversees the operational performance and the board manages the risks of the organization but I'm the accountable officer on the board uh, and I have to make sure that I'm uh, briefed on what I need to be briefed on, that I've got the skill set underneath me to make sure we can deliver those functions, and that's what you'd expect. You know, you you want to know that the place is well run, uh, and 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 uh, that you've got the right skills in the right place to deliver the right care. Hundred percent. I don't think any of us can fully appreciate now that such a broad range of the NHS, and that as you touched on earlier, that's something that's changed over time. Just on that point, how big has the change been in your time in the NHS from when you first started to now? When I was thinking about that before you came in, I was imagining when I first started, what was really very, very different. And um, I was thinking about the, the difference in, the, first of all, the way that patients were treated. Um, so uh, the, the, in those days, we didn't really have patient engagement, patient empowerment. You know, you, patients sort of did what doctors said, really. Um, you know, we all looked up to the doctors. They were wonderful. And we do looked up to, we, we, if you went in as a patient, you, you basically took the service you were offered. There was one size fits all and, and we, we, we fitted in and we had very long waiting times. Um, the, the service has changed very dramatically now. There are many more roles as we've talked about. There's much more openness. So NHS organisations are required to be open. I mean, once upon a time you just kept everything quiet. You know, you wouldn't be, if you made mistakes, you wouldn't tell people that. Nowadays, as we're all encouraged to be open in learning about safe services. The more that people report, when things don't go well, if you make a mistake, let us know. Let's all learn from what goes wrong. So, and, and definitely patients, uh, much more the patient voice, designing services that meet the needs of patients, really important. Mm. Almost reflects in society a bit more, where people it now is. have a little more choice and feel like they can have their yeah. say a bit more. I mean, if I take my mum, uh, she still is very, you know, 94 years old. Uh, her approach to the health service and how she sees the doctor and the service, she's very respectful, she's very grateful. People coming out after the Second World War, a lot of them, you know, very grateful for services and, and expecting to be told. Whereas my sons, you know, they're used to things, they've got all the IT, they're used to instant this, instant that, booking things online. They wonder why it is that we, we you know, why, well, why isn't that open at midnight? 
you know, so yeah. it's a different world. And is that challenging for the staff potentially to deal with that change in um, attitude and sort of perception from the public? I think it, it is and it can be, but we have to remember that our staff have changed very much as well. So one of the biggest things um, as, as a manager and understanding what it means to, if, if you're responsible as an employer for large numbers of people, we're a very big employer. So actually within the NHS, we have trade unions, we have professional representatives, we have policies and procedures to ensure that we're treating our staff within the law, within good practice. Um, that's, that's really important. So our staff, although they've had to change, they change themselves. So nowadays, what we would expect of our staff and the way that we would expect we talk now about work-life balance and all the rest of it. When I started in the health service, you didn't talk about work-life balance. You know, you never let them know that you've got home life or any other outside commitments. I was just here for work, you know. But of course, that's a good thing. We've got we we are we need an organisation that ref is made up of people who reflect the population we're serving. And that way, when you come in, you're going to be treated by people who sort of understand who you are, how you tick, and what matters to you. And hopefully, we can give you good care. And I guess I say you can never really settle on as a trust. It's saying it's always evolving. So you have does. to keep being open, keep reviewing things, and keep sort of adapting. Yes, yes, and that's the story of the NHS, isn't it? That treatments are changing all the time as we find out new things, and um, we know that technology is changing all the time. We find there's new science, new you know, new drugs become available, new treatments, and then just when you're thinking, gosh. So if we nowadays everybody needs a scan for that, oh, well, there was another if they need a particular treatment, and then you find actually you don't need to do that treatment because we found a way of doing it. If we do, if we use a CT scanner, we can find out without having to cut people open or insert something. We can actually just take the do the diagnostics. So everything's constantly changing, and I think that's one of the challenges for the service because the pace is quite fast but it is one of the really interesting components of it so we need to always be improving and expect things to change but make sure that we've got good arrangements for introducing new changes and that we agree those with patients that we listen to our staff and what they think about them that we test out new things properly and that we evaluate yeah and a bit philosophical but when you first took the role could you expect it to be what it is become because I'm missing your role changes as well and also what the what the trust is really. So I as I say I've been a chief executive for 21 years but it's actually been for a number of different organizations and I've grown in that time um, I've learned such a lot and uh, every time the NHS we've, I've been through quite a lot of reorganizations that have set up new NHS bodies um, so at one point I, I was involved in commissioning services so the planning and buying of services like with a contract um, and I've had to learn all about contracting and good practice, procurement practice, that sort of thing. How to get a good specification of a service. You know, what does a good stroke service look like? What does a good end of life care service look like? If you're going to commission that from, from providers, you need to know what, what good looks like. Now I'm in um, a provider organisation. So as a hospital, we provide care. We don't commission it. We, we actually, we, we would have the other end of the contract. We'd sign up, say, yes, we will deliver that service in that way. So. When I took on my job at Pool in 2014 and I went into Pool, I knew that Pool was not sustainable. And I'd gone, I'd been a commissioner for a number of years and I went back into the world of provision. I knew that Pool wasn't sustainable, we'd need to find a sustainable future for those services that was very important. And working with partners, that's when we ended up with the Dorset Clinical Services Review. And actually, that is a good model. There's some really good designs in that. 
Um, and, and my work since then, working um, as Chief Executive of Paul and then over the two organisations and now as University Hospital, is trying to work to help staff and public move into that new strategy which I believe to be really good. So has it been the way I thought it would be? In many ways, better. I love working closely with patients. I love seeing patient care around me all the time. I love being in the hospital setting or the community and, and seeing the care take place. I love working with the people who are really, really passionate about what they do and so skilled and really impressive. And in other ways, I've been surprised at how at times people can be quite nasty and, and unkind and I don't mean necessarily internally but we you know we're a big organization we'll have some lovely people and some less lovely people but some members of the public at times it's been very uh, personal uh, some of the criticisms about what we're trying to do and at times that, that you know it's disappointing when you're genuinely trying to do your best for local people. How did the role really change from Paul Hospital to when it became a joint role for you or was it just really a natural transition from where the way things were moving with the clinical service. So I think when I was a chief executive for Paul and then I had the joint role when I was chief executive of both trusts, there were still two medium-sized organisations. We've now merged to become a very big organisation. We're one of the biggest NHS providers in, in the country. Um, you know, most big trusts will be about our size, and yet many of many of us are still used to thinking about being medium sized. So the biggest challenge was stepping up into this really large organisation and realising the things that might have always. I, when you stay close to everything, it might be somebody else's job to do that now. So we've we've had to bring in a structure which is involving our care groups. So my organisation is divided into three care groups: medical, surgical, specialties. And then there's an operations team. So if you think of four pillars, each of those groups of services is the size of a small hospital in terms of the number of people and the amount of money. So my total budget is around 700 million. I have 700 million to spend every year and I can spend it many times over. And each of those pillars, each of those care groups is running, um, you know, 200 million, something like that just around that figure, which is the size of a small hospital. So getting used to letting other people do things, mm. standing back and letting other people lead a bit more, um, and also finding other ways of staying close to the front line, close to the nine and a half thousand people. Um, making, and, and, and that's where I've started using videos a lot, actually, yeah. so that I can talk, because I can't talk to everybody. Yes, and as is anyone coming to the hospital now, or John Basque, there's a, a lot going on. How do you, start, is it excitement, is it, Amazing to finally see these things happening. There's, we've got building work starting now. There's more building work to come up, up here and at Paul. It's so exciting. And you have to remember there's a very thin dividing line between excitement and being overwhelmed. You know, So so it is exciting. But lots of people, where there's so much going on at one time, some staff do feel a bit overwhelmed. And some members of the public, when you come to the hospital and the front door's gone, you're not quite sure where to go. It can be, it can be difficult for people. But we have got a really good plan in Dorset, um, which... As we so our plan is all about one trying to get it right early on early education preventive services prevention stopping people getting ill and helping people to take charge of their own health and live as healthy a life as possible two to have out in the community every day of the week really good community services that are joined up you know GPS community nurses social care join all that up so that when you need care 
or a special or, or, or a, a healthcare advice or information or treatment you can get get what you need quickly and then the hospitals only doing what the hospitals need to do don't don't come into hospital unless you really need to be here and we've been so lucky because we've got it's not just luck I mean people work jolly hard to get it we've managed to get this large sum of money um, from the Treasury to enable us to make to do the building work you, you can't separate out and change the services in the way we want with a major emergency and plan care hospital without money to, to, to do the building. So our sites, the Bournemouth site is getting bigger. Uh, we, we've got more land at Bournemouth and so we can, we can expand here and we're going to be building our new beach building which you've seen and this will be the major emergency site. At Pool Hospital that will be our major planned care site, it's fabulous. People have seen in COVID the importance of separating out emergency and planned care. If you don't need to be with all the other illnesses and infections that go with the emergency workload, let's keep it separate and that doesn't get disrupted. So the planned care site that will be able to get on and do planned care without cancelling operations and being overwhelmed by the emergencies would be great. So when I see it all happening, we, I just want it all to happen quicker. Yes. We just want to get through the, the time where it's all messy and we've got bulldozers and diggers and all sorts of things going on but there it, it will happen and 2024 we will see the sites uh, in the way that they should be the services moving into the right place and everybody will be able to deliver care in a in a better way a better environment better use of resource the echo dispatch with jason lewis It is clear the biggest challenge faced by hospitals in Debbie's career has been the COVID pandemic, and we'll touch on that shortly. Given her long period in the role, I was interested to know what was the toughest experience excluding the coronavirus health emergency. I think the recent merger has probably been the most challenging thing I've had to lead. It, the fact it took place in the middle of the pandemic aside, but even if we hadn't had a pandemic, when you've got two organisations who run well, and we, we are actually going to bring them together. We're going to change everything and run it even better. But that process of change, I often say it's a bit like, you know, breaking your eggs, uh, but we haven't yet made the omelette. Because you, you have to actually, you know, you start bringing things together. You can't keep everything the same and achieve a merger. And it's really unsettling for staff. And it's really uh, difficult for people uh, to, to go through all of that change. And bringing that together in a way that works that's been the biggest leadership challenge i think of my life but I, i'm very very proud of what we've done particularly in the pandemic and i'm really encouraged when i look at the foundations in university hospitals dorset and how uh, how how we've got a great platform to build on now as we're coming out of the pandemic it might lead in well obviously then so what are you most proud of is it the same thing and how it's, how it's been going or is it saying else so i think i am it's, an in, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm really proud of the values that we hold in this organisation. I could see, I just yeah. noticed them behind Debbie. Yeah, that, that was really important because the whole thing about values is that the NHS, if you go to any hospital, people talk about very similar values. You know, we, we're patient-centred, we want to be kind, we want to be compassionate, we want to be improving. The important thing that we've done in UH, both trusts had a really uh, positive culture and a strong set of values. So going back to my scrambling and making the omelette, if you, if you damage that, uh, that's, that has repercussions for a long period of time. What we did was to talk to our staff about what really mattered to them and listen to staff. And so our staff chose these values, the six values, which um, 
those really matter to our staff and that's the kind of organisation we want it to be, that's the kind of care we want to give for our patients and that's how we want to support and work with each other. Now if that those values matter because those are the values that we use to, to recruit people and to uh, appraise people and when I meet with staff on induction and I talk about our values which I always do I say if those aren't your values you're probably in the wrong place we may not even want you in the nicest sense of the word when I'm interviewing consultants I expect to have the best surgeons I expect to have fantastic uh, doctors fantastic physiotherapists, fantastic nurses, they might be really skilled at the tasks they do or the work they perform, but if they haven't got that value set, then they, they won't flourish in our organisation and they won't help our organisation to deliver great care. So I'm really proud that in UHD staff do recognise these values, they do talk about them, they know about them when they come into the organisation and they know and we constantly talk about them with our staff now and everything we do we try to get consistent with that and that will shape University Hospitals Dorset for many many years to come, the kind of place it is to work in and the kind of care we deliver for patients. Great to hear and I think we can't really avoid talking about COVID but just one question on if I may um, because we spoke to yourself and a lot of other senior figures across the trust about these past two years can you put into words the challenge it's been and the pressure it's put on staff and, and how they've got through it? I always think when the COVID pandemic first hit is how frightened everyone was we were all terrified and uh, I remember my mum my mum lives with us my 94 year old mother she said to me don't go into work and I laughed and I said, well, I have to go into work. How can I not go into work? And that same conversation was probably happening in every household for our staff. And people came into work really, really frightened, knowing that they were putting themselves at risk, but there for their patients and their colleagues. So I think the overarching thing was firstly the fear, then it's for me the pride of seeing our staff come together and totally change the way that we did things so that we could focus on COVID and keep patients safe. We then had the, so the, the fear, then the pride, then the constant turbulence, the constant new guidance, finding out more information, things were happening so fast. Every, almost every week there was, there was a bit more knowledge and people would say, well, we'll do that slightly differently. And so uh, that, was, uh, that was really, really challenging. The pace of stuff was really difficult. The digital transformation, so what happened, the way we work has totally transformed as we now all use Teams and thank goodness we were able to get our wonderful IT team sorted all that out for us, we were able to get that in. Um, I then got a sadness, I have to say, about the lost lives and we've lost staff. We've had our National Service of Remembrance today. We've lost some staff, but obviously we've lost many patients and um, you know, in the early days when we didn't have the treatments and we didn't have the knowledge um, and there wasn't much we could do except to try and care for people. So there's a sadness, but I am optimistic now because I believe that we are, we've learned so much and I do believe that we will see things settle and I believe that we will ultimately come out of this better and stronger, but we just need to look after our people because they're so tired. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's been a lot of talking, especially today, about funding in the NHS and, and social care really. As much as you really need to sell it, really, how difficult is that part of the this NHS at the moment? Like, is is there enough it's funding? Really is it really is there enough funding to make the NHS fit for purpose? Because you hear all these people complaining about waiting lists and stuff like this. What's the current situation from your? So the challenge for the NHS is that um, we 
we always want to do more but there are always opportunities to improve what we're doing. Now at the moment, as you've probably picked up from other people, the biggest challenge in this organisation is that a fifth of my beds are full of patients who don't need acute hospital care. They need something, they can't just you know, walk out the door, but they need something outside the hospital, a different, probably, a, 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 you know, they, they might need care in their own homes. Some of them might have very complex needs and need a complex care package, but they don't need to be in the hospital. And that is a waste of money to, to have beds that should be used for emergency admissions uh, being used in that way. Now, the, more important than the waste of money is the impact on those patients because we want to get the best care for people. Um, but go back to what I was saying about doing things early on. If we don't treat people and get them back out of the hospital early on, they can pick up other infections, they can have falls, they can go backwards because a lot of our older people sort of lose confidence and they become a bit institutionalised. So staying in the hospital is not good for the patients and, and the, the money's out of kilter but more importantly it's not right for the patients. So the whole thing around social care, as a country we must pay attention to this issue because we haven't got the model of care right for our older people and therefore we haven't that workers, you know, we've recently heard, haven't we, that we, we there's government has decided to, to uh, fund long-term care uh, more effectively, uh, so that people don't have to sell their houses. That policy that, that money's been set aside for that, that's great, but actually, we still need a better join-up between health and social care. We need to do, we can do better, and we must do better if we're going to use the money really well and give best care for our patients. And looking forward, what advice would you give to your successor? So my, the lovely Siobhan Harrington is joining us the 1st of June and she's absolutely fabulous and I think UHD is really lucky to have her and I think she's really lucky to have UHD because it's a fabulous job. My advice for her is to listen. I always talk a lot as you will see but I mean I do listen a lot. Jamie will hold that. I do listen a lot to Abby. I always try and stay close to staff stay close to the front line so that we are really understanding um, what what's getting in the way of delivering great care and I think that I know that Siobhan is a great listener so I, I don't have to give her that advice but staying close to people and then going back to that accountability I'm accountable if it's not okay so you've got to take action for things that are not okay and um, that that mean and it's it's about realizing that that's a team and it's working closely with the team of people with all the skills to make wise decisions and then get on and, and act so I don't have to advise Siobhan because she knows all that already and I'm really confident about it but I think those are my advice to any new manager any young manager my first job in the health service was in the community and I learned very early on that the importance of services outside hospital that was a great learning and the other message that I uh, learned very early on is that people don't just respect you because of your title you have to earn that respect and that's what's really important so all the time you do what you say you're going to do you try and be uh, honest open and consistent and, uh, and and not to let people down and are you completely stepping away from the trust of the NHS or are you still involved in some what's so I'm, I'm gonna have a little gap here is what I say to people because I've worked I have worked literally all my uh, sort of teenage years and adult life I, I've always worked and uh, I, I want to have a little rest and I also want to spend a bit more time with my family. I keep saying if I feel a need to put something in my diary, I'm going to book an appointment with my son or my mother or my, my husband. Um, 
but I, I want a bit of time off to think how I want to use my time and my skill set to continue doing something. I don't expect to, to stop, uh, but I'm, I'm really intrigued to, to look at how I could use my, the skill set that I've got as a chief executive in the health service, where can I use that to best effect in a way that I'm going to really enjoy. So I, uh, NHS people never disappear forever. They always come back at some point or another, but um, I, really, I, I'm, I really want to make sure that what I'm doing is going to have an impact and now, if I'm not working full time uh, and I'm able to choose a little bit, uh, I, I want to make the right choices. So I'm thinking. Yeah. And lastly, uh, a word for all the staff that you've met, had the pleasure of working with, and have helped you in all your years with the trust. What would your message to them be? It's a massive, massive thank you, and to encourage them to be really proud of themselves. Uh, to just say thank you to everybody and to say look after each other look after yourselves and always remember You've got to look after yourself before you can come in and give good patient care So we talked at the beginning about that work home life balance. We we need staff to uh, To be able to work in a way that fits in with their home life and with their family commitments and so I always say to people remember that uh, we work to live we don't live to work, so get the balance right. Oh, lovely note to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Louis. That concludes episode 10 of the Echo Dispatch. I was extremely grateful to Debbie for sparing a large chunk of her time to sit down for the interview as she prepared to hand over the reins at University Hospitals Dorset. As a reminder, this podcast is available on a number of major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts with new episodes dropping on the first Monday of the month. Please let me know your thoughts on the series and anyone you would like to be interviewed by emailing me on jason.lewis at bournemouthecho.co.uk. Thanks for listening and bye for now. The Echo Dispatch with Jason Lewis.